I'm Aysan, and welcome to the Friday Show. Been another big and busy week in City World, and joining me to recap the whole lot and look ahead to this weekend's game at Watford, I've roped in Mr. Howard Hocking. Welcome, mate. Oh, glad to be here. Hello. Hello. Um, I've got an opening question. Yeah. How do you twist your ankle in your sleep? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did it on holiday, and I've done it again last night. So I'll go... I've got a very weak left ankle, so but I don't know. It just flares up. But I woke up this morning; and it's it's hurting. Oh dear! <laughs> I, d- I just don't want to know what I do in my sleep, to be honest. So just just, just leave it there. <laughs> okay. Now we'll do the real opening question. Um, one of the um, firstly apologies because I one of the lads on Twitter yesterday was uh, having a little bit of a go, saying that we always ask for questions and then we rarely answer them. So, which I thought was kind of fair enough. Um, the opening question today is, is it easier to defend with a back three or a back four? I thought that's quite interesting. Mm. Um, you want me to answer first, don't you? Yeah. Okay, so I think it it does depend upon who you, what type of player you use in the wing-back positions. But for argument's sake, if you play with a back three and you play with players like Walker and Mendy, then I think it's much easier to defend... Um, yeah, with with three at the back, with the two wing backs, than it is with the flat back four. And I think actually it's interesting if you look across the league at the moment, not just not just big teams and not just little teams. It feels like everybody at, at all levels within the Premier League, there are managers that are beginning to prefer playing with a back three to a back five. And I think that does sort of imply that there is a, a sense that playing with the back three gives a greater amount of control. Um, and I wonder if that maybe at some point was a reaction to, because there was that moment where everybody was playing 4-3-3 with one centre forward. Um, and I wonder if it if, if it did begin as a reaction to that in the sort of thinking of, well, if we play with three centre-backs, then you've got your you've got your, your one that can man-mark the... Uh, centre forward and it gives the other two um I guess it gives them a ch- an opportunity to to help the uh the two wing backs and deal with the uh deal with the wingers but yeah what do you think yeah I'll go along with that but I, my honest answer not sitting on the fence there is no answer mm. uh, I think he said it's entirely dependent on the players you've got uh I don't think there's one system if there was it's like arguing against zonal marking and man-to-man marking and you know your co-commentators hate zonal marking but if it was that terrible I think a lot of the top managers in the world would have worked that out by now and not used it and yeah. I like I think the back three works better for City because I like it's kind of fluid anyway isn't it and I like the idea of Fernandine it's kind of the middle ground I kind of like the idea of, of Fernandinho or, or someone like Danilo who just Slot, you know, slots into the middle three or even mm-hmm. the stones but then moves forward at times mm-hmm. so it kind of changes to a back two or a back four so it's very fluid with City the problem you've got I think we saw against Liverpool that you know that first 20 minutes with the back three is you need disciplined full backs and when they're getting too high up the pitch I think a back four is more defensive in a way in that it may lead to you know it will be used by a lot of teams that will have full backs that concentrate more on defending rather than flying forwards. And I think the back three with City, 
our fullbacks, and mainly Mendy at the moment, who's only just started playing for us anyway, so I don't expect him to have full discipline. They have to remember to stay back at times, you know, because the back three can't protect the entire width of the pitch, you know, the wings. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's player dependent, and I think with I think the back three suits the top sides, you know, ball players in defence. Uh, but with City, it's fluid, isn't it? So it's hard to. I mean, it changes when we're on the ball and when we're not on the ball. It's uh, it's very hard to pinpoint. And uh, yeah, we've discussed it a lot this season. I don't, I don't quite have the answer yet. I think I know later in the season which, you know, for City at least, which I prefer. Mm. Uh, uh, but I mean, the back three originally, we you know, with Mancini, it looked like a disaster. But I'm far more. I see it. You know, it, it makes a lot more sense now with the the personnel we've got. Okay. Um, just you touched upon Mendy there, uh, and we've had a lot of questions on Twitter as well about is he defensively suspect? I, I've I've, se- I've seen a few people imply that maybe you know it, what he brings going forward is is a little bit um, obfuscating the fact that he's defensively a bit suspect. And now, for, very quickly from my point of view, I think that's a little bit unfair. I think he's, I think in any case, he's. When he's being asked to play, whether he's being asked to play in a back three or a back four, um, he's being asked to attack and he's being asked to press. And I think that there was, yeah. I criticised him uh, a little bit uh, after the Liverpool game, but in hindsight, I really do think that that's on that's on the coaching staff. I think it's really important that you know, I mean, if these guys are being told, if he's being told. You need to go and shut Alexander Arnold down every time he steps into to City's half. You need to go right at him. That's what he's going to do, and I think that there's more of that that sort of idea of you know there's spaces in the channels uh, behind the the wing backs in the back three. Uh, that there, there will be a a systemic way in which we're meant to deal with that. Just because we don't deal with it well. After the foot, after the wing backs go and press, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't go and press. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, any criticism of Mendy, I'm not. It's too early to say he's not been overworked. I mean, Liverpool does that, you know, that twenty minute. But the criticism is not. Oh, he can't defend or he can't tackle. It's more just positioning thing. Is he mm. too high up the pitch? That's the main issue, I think. And covering, you know, you've got to cover the defenders behind you. Uh, but yeah, I agree with but it's too early to say whether how suspect he is. Uh he's twenty three years old and he's played what, three games? Uh, I don't think you know, during against Feyenoord, I didn't notice his attacking intent as much. And he had one dodgy moment where he he should have just played it back to a defender but tried to work his way out on the left and gave them a you know, lost the ball and they attacked. But, you know, just if you pick it up individual things like that, it's not the end of the world. Uh I think we need to give him a bit more time yet and let him work out how to play with his colleagues. So Definitely. It's interesting that you just said that because about the fact that he, you saw him less in an attacking capacity against Feyenoord because we played with a flat back four against Feyenoord. So <laughs> yeah. um, it, it does sort of imply there just by saying that, that maybe playing with the four will mean that the, the, the onus is less on those fullbacks to, to go and attack. Yeah. It's like De Bruyne, isn't it? You play him deeper, he doesn't score goals, which he mentioned this week. But, mm. you yeah, know, it's give and take, isn't it? The way you position them, it's give and take. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's the balance between defending and attacking. So yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, it, he'll get it right. He'll get it right. Definitely. Yeah, he's what? got the energy. He's got the pace, anti. So. Absolutely, and he's also got the—he's got the physicality as well. I think that's—that's yeah. that's a huge thing. I think you know he's massive, basically. Um, what did you make of the Feyenoord game? Because uh, obviously we've done a review, but this is the Friday show for those people who don't subscribe. Um, was it as was it as comfortable as the scoreline suggests? Yeah, it's probably the most straightforward European game I can remember. I think. Mm. I mean, did- I don't. I, my memory—I don't remember games from last season, but I don't remember us scoring that early and. I mean, Seville away was one of the, you know, but they got it back to 2-1, so there was still that little doubt for a bit in Seville. Uh, but this was just, yeah, when the second was in, was, and once the third was in, it was done. I mean, it was 100% done. Uh, it never felt that threatening. And don't forget, we didn't win in a way game in the group stage or knockout last season. So to start like this, yeah, our only game was that easy one in, in the qualifier in Bucharest. Uh, and it reminded me of that, to be honest. It was that easy. But yeah, this is the group stage uh, against a team that's not lost at home in 19 months. And they, they looked frightened and that early goal just knocked the wind out of them. But yeah, it was straightforward. So, Do you think that we've not given enough credit to um, our performance? It just simply in the sense that there's been a lot of, well, just final just weren't very good. But as you say, they've not lost at home in, in 18 months. They beat United this time last year. They've won it, the first four league games as well. Yeah. They won uh, the with a plus nine goal difference. So they're no mugs, are they? No, I mean, it's not the best league in the world, let's be honest, but they're no mugs, no. Uh, and they've got a very you know, tight ground, brilliant atmosphere. It wasn't, you know, it would have been... There would have been small intimidation for the City players, so mm. but that I think the goal Yeah, there's always an asterisk with some against a City result, isn't there? Exactly. Everything. I mean we beat by Munich. Well, they didn't need the points, so it didn't matter. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but we beat by Munich and they seemed to be trying when I was watching them on the pitch, you know. Uh you know, beat Liverpool, yeah, but you know, if they hadn't had a man sent off, they'd probably have beaten us. And it's like there's always an asterisk. Yeah, it's both it, as always it's both, isn't it? I don't they certainly didn't perform to the best of ability but we didn't let them we, yeah they just I mean the possession at one point says 65% for us it felt like 80 to be honest yeah, absolutely uh, they, they couldn't yeah when they got the ball all they could do was clear to the halfway line it was they just couldn't get near the ball mm. uh, so yeah definitely credit for it because it could have been more to us when you consider that we didn't overexert ourselves in the second half are we beginning to see I want to be careful about how I say yeah. this I know what you're going to say. <laughs> are we be, are we beginning to see the the Guardiola machine in action? Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. Uh, no, let's just wait and see. <laughs> okay. Well, Watford will be a test, won't it? Because they're well organized. Yeah, they might. It's not Chelsea away, but they're a well organized side that will test the machine. Because mm. yeah, so maybe one to us next week. <laughs> There'll be know. an asterisk next to it next week. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, we won the first ten last season, but we were, didn't play well in a lot of those games. Mm. And do you uh, think we're playing better now? Yeah. Well, I think, that, oh, to be honest, the team's better. Yeah. Uh, it's just a more vibrant, exciting team. It's got more energy. It's younger. Uh, there's more depth as well. I mean, you can just, you know, if someone's having a bad game. There's probably someone pretty much as good to come on. Mm. Well, that's the, uh, that's the bench is loaded. So yeah, it's a better side. But yeah, 
there seems to be... I mean, we've seen the last week we started scoring goals. I mean, the problem was the same two weeks ago. It was bitter dodgy defence uh, and not taking chances. But I hope what we've seen in the last week is now a more clinical attacking unit. So, Are we seeing a more mature John Stones? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he, when company came in last season, he's like... He lifted everyone around him. So whoever was next to him, he could see his leadership. Uh, and now he's injured again. Stones, is, we said yeah, a few weeks ago, big season for Stones. He has to step up this season. Uh, and the last two games, he's done just that without company in very important big games you know, for different reasons. So, uh, so far, so good, yeah. Excellent. Um- and, sorry, his po- yeah. I don't watch post-match interviews. I find them, you know, managers or players, I just find them nothing of interest in them. Uh, but I did see the first few seconds, and he immediately said in an interview, you know, I wanted to learn, learn, improve. So, you know, the right attitude's there. He knows what he has to do, so. Definitely. I mean, he's got, if you've got Pep Guardiola behind you, saying, yeah. I think he can be one of the best in the world, then that's, that surely that's motivation enough for a guy like Stones. Yeah. Um, okay. And now, we do a show on the 9320 player called League Matters where we look across the um, the rest of the, the Premier League and, and how they've fared. You did that show yesterday. Uh, I yeah. just wanted to have a quick chat about a couple of the things maybe that you might have touched upon just so our listeners get a, a feeling for what goes on in those shows. Right. Yeah, no problem. Well, we started by ripping into you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> You've not. Uh, Crystal Palace we started with and your... your prediction that uh, De Boer would be an, uh, a revelation at the club. You didn't get no, given a chance, mate. No, we didn't rip into you. Uh, it was mentioned in passing. Yeah, well, that was the discussion. We, uh, we were led with that. The Where does the blame lie? Uh, where does yeah, it lie, do you think? Uh, with Parrish. Yeah? Yeah. Was the appointment I mean, wrong? Not, eh? was I the thought the point... Well... The appointment was right if they'd backed him in the summer transfer window and if they'd given him time. Mm. But as he wasn't clearly prepared to do that, then the appointment was wrong. Uh, I don't know. He might have continued to be a disaster, but I saw enough when he lost to Burnley. I mean, Scott, this is the fine line of managing. <laughs> you know, I think Scott Dan it was who missed an absolute sitter at the end. So he puts that in in the draw. Would they have sacked him? And if not, why is his job relying on defend him whether he heads in from four yards out why is it relying on a terrible back pass in the fourth minute mm. that's not how you make managerial decisions uh, the problem yeah you're giving a, a template you're giving a man bringing a manager who wants a complete over you know overhaul of the playing style but, you, but you're giving him the Sam Allardyce players to do it with uh, <laughs> you know it's what you can't it can't work unless you give if you support the manager. Uh, and I think I think Parrish has to take some blame for that because he immediately phoned up, you know, Allardyce from Monday Night Football, picking himself up about how brilliant they were, how they escaped last season for an hour. Uh, and he said, Parrish phoned him and said, what do you think? And he's like, well, why are you phoning up Allardyce? You know, you're the, if you're wow. the chairman, you, you don't need to phone up Sam Allardyce for his advice. And Allardyce said he didn't offer me the job. But the fact he phoned up Allardyce suggests he was test, you know, yeah, dipping his toe in the water, wasn't he? So, I mean, that would have been embarrassing to get him back in. It's just, 
But yeah, you've got to give him longer. You've got Hudson in, who's just a a main, you know, a manager just uninspiring as anything. They've got a winnable game this weekend, but then they've got a tough run. So they may be no better off in four games, whoever they brought in. Mm. And if stuck with the ball, they've got City and United, I think, and someone else. I don't know, Chelsea or someone. So, yeah, I put it on Parish. I mean, I was I had my doubts because I've, his managerial record has tailed off in recent times. Uh, and Palace have done the PR about him annoying plays and stuff. And I said in the league, so it... Remind me of Mancini when he went, all oh, the PR came out about him fighting and stuff. So you don't know what's true. But yeah, uh, it's it's ridiculous. If you're gonna if you're gonna you know hire a manager like that, four games is just not enough. Is it unrealistic to um for managers to come in from abroad and take on clubs lower down the league and expect to come in and, and get them playing football straight away do you basically what I'm trying to say is that do you think in a way that guys like De Boer would be better suited to be a bit more pragmatic and look at the tools that they've got and go well I've got three quarters of an Allardyce squad here so there's no way that they're going to play Ajax football in two months time so maybe I need to be a little bit more pragmatic and wait until I can get the players that I need to play that I want to play the way that I want to play or is it the idea that you need to implant your ideas straight away? No, it's true. He has to be pragmatic, but maybe De Boer only has one way. Mm. Yeah, you know, he has his, you know, the AX way. Uh, that's how he's been brought up, implemented. That's how you play football. And, you know, the parish would have known this. Apparently it was his brainstorm. He had to talk the rest of the board into this, apparently. Uh, Lloyd mentioned yesterday. So, you know, he's dead set on this. So even... Considering it was his vision to put De Boer in, it makes it all the more baffling that you get rid of him so quickly. Yeah, you've got to be pragmatic. I mean, we talk about I mean, even Guardiola last season, we thought he went a bit too quickly, you know, trying to implement stuff with more talented players, but who still had to take on too much too quickly. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know. We don't know what he's promised when he took over. Was he promised the players? Uh but yeah, I mean, I think De Boer perhaps, I mean, he's heavily tarnished reputation now. He would have been better suited going to a club where there were players already there to suit his style of play. Yeah. Um, final one on the on the Palace sacking. Do you think there should be a transfer window within which uh, managers can be sacked? So <laughs> I've, 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 I read, I, I heard this being floated uh, maybe a year ago or two years ago. The idea that when the transfer window closes, you can't sack the manager until the transfer window opens again to kind of force owners to give new managers an opportunity rather than just being knee-jerk and also to provide stability. Hmm. Yeah, it's not a bad idea, but it's not very practical. It'd have to be Europe-wide, wouldn't it? Again, Because if they're... Because it becomes a mess when one league is doing everything differently. Uh, what if Barcelona... Yeah, it's just... Because it works both ways. What if Barcelona want... I mean, they won't want Koeman now. But <laughs> if Barcelona sat their manager in December and wanted Koeman, it's, I think it's unfair. It's a job. Koeman's in a job, employment. I don't see... I mean, you could say the same about players. They're not allowed to move, and that's a job, isn't it? 
no, I see the merit in it, but it has to be done across the board. And it gives you know, the problem with the transfer window again, it allows because the other leagues will have more time to buy and sell, it puts us at a disadvantage. Uh, I do see the more you think about it, though, it's quite a good idea, but then there's always situations where. What if your manager murders someone? <laughs> You're not allowed to sack him then. Or? I'm, I'm sure. Th- I'm sure <laughs> there have to be caveats. But yeah. yeah, it's not the worst idea. But yeah, to give faith, but it works both ways, doesn't it? Uh, why do you think it's a great idea? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I see. I definitely see the merit in it. I, yeah, I'd have I, to give it a bit more thought. I think. Yeah, I, I definitely see the merit in. You know, particularly, I think particularly when a new manager is is appointed and maybe, you know, that's the way that you you approach it. The idea that in the first 12 months of a new manager's contract in the Premier League, they can only be sacked in the first transfer window or the second transfer window to stop situations exactly like the De Boer situation. Because part of, for me, part of the issue is that you can't get two games into a season and then have the media be saying he's got one game to save his job. I mean, yeah. that, that to me doesn't make any sense because you can't you can't hire and fire managers based on one result. It's it's as simple as that. So that yeah. in and of itself is saying to me that that board, after two games, have decided <laughs> they've made the wrong decision and they want to yeah. sack this guy. And I think if you made that decision, I suppose, you know, I'm trying to be sympathetic to the managers, but at the same time, there'll be plenty of people that will say, listen, the manager's going to get a massive payoff. Exactly, yeah. Anyway. Just imagine now, January the 1st, 20, <laughs> 27 managers being sacked <laughs> on the same day. It would be funny. Uh, okay, um, briefly, did you guys talk about Everton and, and Cumin? Yeah, we did. Because, I mean, well, I mean, the summer, it was painted by many people, media or otherwise, that they kind of won the transfer window in a way. Mm. Uh, and they looked a bit, a bit of a dark horse, but, well... You know, Barkley stayed in the end. Don't know if that's good or bad, to be honest, uh, for Everton. Uh, yeah, and it's just been terrible. <laughs> you know, it's just been doubt. Yeah, you know, I've just been. I watched. I only watched the highlights of the Spurs game at the weekend, but it could have been ten. Uh, they were just the shambles all over the place. And as Lloyd pointed out, it's such a slow team. Uh, is it Calvert Lewin? So I said that. Yeah, you know, he's been benched, even though he's. I mean, he's their best player against us. Uh, some strange decisions. I mean, I, you know, I, I do think they bought well. You know, Keane, but he was apparently bad last night again. Uh, last night against, you know, in the Europa. Mm. Uh, That's right, because they lost again last night. Since you've done yeah. the League Matters show, they lost 3-0 to, yeah. to Atlanta last night. It was 3-0 by half-time, and there were shambles again. Yeah, I think Pickford's good. I think Keane's good. Class could develop. Uh and Sigurdsson, even though we discussed, might be silly money, but still a good acquisition. But it's a slow team. Uh, Lloyd wondered, yeah, Lloyd's thing. Well, if you sell a big gun player like Lukaku, should Everton have just rebought a big player rather than spreading the money around on a lot of players that hasn't really improved the team significantly? See, I but then, but then you've got the problem. Well, I said, well, can Everton get another player like that? Yeah, because they're playing the Europa League. They're not. Yeah, it's not Barcelona going after a player, is it? It's not that simple. It's like, who do you go for? But they're a slow team. They lack pace. And, you know, they've got Sandro up from the butt. The goal threats. But it, it's not just the slowness of the goal threat. The, the, the defending has been appalling in recent weeks. So. Hmm. Uh, 
Do you yeah, think- so strange one. It's we don't know what. Yeah, Cumin's style has been. I don't know what it is really. No, I mean it's, it's interesting actually because Cumin was. Uh, uh, I didn't really rate him when he was Marseille manager. Um, I didn't really rate him when he went to Valencia. He did well at Southampton, but you do wonder looking at looking at how it's kind of unfolding at Everton and and sort of how it did la- I mean he did he did okay last season but they were very negative in in a lot of the big games they were very yeah. very negative um and you do you do wonder with him whether yeah I, I think it'll be interesting to see how the next month two months plays out because I think he could be the next manager to go if uh if yeah. he doesn't turn it around quickly because they have spent a lot of money and I, I do think they bought well like I, it's interesting that, that that Lloyd says well maybe they should have just taken the Lukaku money and and gone and you know spunked it on a Benteke or something like that but I don't know like I just I, I don't think on paper you look at the players that they bought and they're all very good players yeah is that it's not like they've gone you know and yeah I mean it's just uh, I I think that it's uh I think that's more on Cumin than it is on the players that they bought. And I know that um, Dave Downey, who does the uh, Blue Room podcast, he, they were Everton fans were already saying in the summer, "Okay, we've bought well, but the team's got no pace. They need to go and buy some pace." So I, I really feel for Evertonians at the moment because I think that a lot of them they could see this coming. They could yeah. see, and it's it's one of those where from the outside as supporters, you just go, just go and do that one thing. If you go and buy the pace that it makes everything else make sense. But without it, a lot of the other business doesn't make... Because, like, for example, buying Sandro and Rooney, it's like, well, you know, they're both talented players. Neither of them are rapid. They're both nah. going to need pace around them. Don't buy them both. Buy one and buy some pace instead. And they've got a pace of young player who's playing well and he benches him, yeah. so... Yeah. yeah, it's just bizarre decisions. So. Football managers, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um... Let's talk a little bit about Watford. Uh, now, I guess that the thing that we should open with is the... Um, I bristled a little bit when Sterling and Sane didn't get a game against Feyenoord. <clears throat> I expected we'd rotate more. Yeah, It's becoming more and more difficult to predict with Pep, sort of, not just what team he's going to pick, what system he's going to pick, but whether he's going to rotate and what games are important or not important. Not, there are, not that there are games that are not important. Um Going into Watford, do you expect there to be rotation this weekend in the attacking positions? Uh, not, ne- not necessarily, no. Okay. Why? Depends. I mean, well, it depends on how if anyone's tired. Because they do these tests after European away. Why? Because it's going well. And what makes me doubt it is the next game, I think, is... The, well, it's not the League Cup, whatever it's called, uh, midweek, isn't it? So if we had another big game midweek, I could see him swapping it around. Mm. But as a lot of these players won't be playing during next week, will he think they're all right for one more game? Uh, the Aguero Jesus thing has started working much better. We've scored a hatful of goals. I don't know. I mean, I just I could see him not making many changes. Uh, but who knows I mean Bernard maybe Bernardo Silva drops again and we get one of Sane and Sterling wide hmm. and that you know like a mini compromise a mini change uh, probably Sterling more likely to start as he's not started last you know because Sane's been subbed more hasn't he yeah. but yeah I'm not convinced that he will 
but he might do. <laughs> he might change seven. It's like I don't know from the opposition how he'll, you know, how he'll approach it. How he'll see a tight, compact side. Will he go with playmakers or will he go with, you know, pace and trickery out wide? Mm. Do you? Uh, think- what do you think? Do you think he's going to rotate again? Or um, again? Or okay. for the first well, time? No, I, I think because because we've got the League Cup game midweek. I suspect that I think that we're beginning to see I think he obviously likes Aguero and Jesus together and he wants them to play together as much as they can and yeah. I think that most weeks the side is going to be built from an attacking point of view around those two um and yeah I mean it's 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 a tricky one to call because you you've also got a factor in the idea of well is he going to go with the back four or is he going to go with the with yeah. the back three and put uh, put Danilo in there we don't know if we obviously we're, we're recording this before Pep does his press conference we don't know if Vinny's fit and ready yeah, I w- must must assume he won't be playing yeah um, so he won't be rushed back anyway will he because of his history so I think we can write him off the next two games okay. Um, <laughs> Definite starter tomorrow now. Exactly. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Um, yeah, I mean, to be to be honest with you, um, I really every time Bernardo Silva's played, I really, really like the look of him. Yeah. And and him out wide could work as well as a pacey player if they've got a low block. You well, know. that's the thing. I was just about to say that I think that I think that the it's way a dribbler, it's a dribbler, it's ball control, it's you know. Silver esque <laughs> times two. So Absolutely. yeah, and he, the way that he, the way that he sort of, I think that he's maybe better suited to a parked bus than Sterling yeah. and Sane are. Um, and I think maybe a little bit that's why I was a bit surprised that neither Sterling or Sane got a game in midweek because I thought maybe against Feyenoord because they were. Um, I just feel as though they were more of a football inside, and they might have given us a little bit more space to play in, which they did. Um, I thought maybe Sterling and Sane would have got a run out, uh, but against Watford, and again, it's one of those where I'm saying this knowing that because I'm saying this, Pep will do the exact opposite. But yeah. I, th- I think that maybe Bernardo Silva gets another start. Um, and on that basis, it wouldn't surprise me if there was almost no changes from the uh, from the game in midweek. Yeah. Jumping ahead a bit then, who does he put up front for a League Cup game? Yeah, I mean... We don't have that Ian Nacho now, do we? Or... No, but you know what? I think that he thinks that Jesus can play almost every minute of every game, if needs be. I think the kid looks like he's got that. I mean, I, I remember reading something last season um, where Jesus was, was... Pep was saying that he, you know, he's got the energy and the enthusiasm of, of a kid. He's just not yeah. tired, you know, he... he He's just ready to go because they were talking about the fact that he just played such an intense and long season in Brazil, had that short break and then come straight into the Premier League and hit the ground running. And he himself said that, you know, he just, he doesn't get tired. He, he is, I mean, he is, yeah. he is a kid and we forget that. He's 19, he's, he, yeah. as much as some, on the one hand, there's the idea of burning a kid out. On the other hand, from a, from a kind of energy point of view, he's got the energy. So yeah. I can absolutely see a situation where both him and Aguero start against Watford and then Con gets a rest um, in midweek and yeah. Jesus is the one who plays yeah, fair enough there's no one else really is there I don't know do you think that's as much of a I mean obviously as the as the season unfolds we will truly know 
how good the depth of the squad is in 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 all the all the big areas. But for the moment, it feels okay, doesn't it? The, yeah. the, the the forward thing, it doesn't feel like four players for for three positions as the season began and the transfer window closed. I made a lot of noise about that being a problem. Mm. No, I mean for for bigger games, it's yeah you can you can play Sterling centrally or. Yeah, but it's more the problems for the smaller games that there's not the depth for, to put the other, there's not the peripheral players to put in, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah it's okay now, but we're not in December yet, are we? Yeah, pe- yeah, it's strange that we're saying we can't get Sterling and Saturday on the pitch, but there'll be a time where we'll we'll be short because we're not going to stay this fit all season. The injuries will start coming, so uh, it's fine now, but yeah, it's, the depth of the squad is really for Christmas as you go through the winter. Uh, that's when we'll see if we're short or not. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, so sorry. So it'd be quite handy if we pick up Sanchez in January. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, think about it, if if we stay pretty fit, we didn't need him up till December. We knocked thirty million off his price and uh, the wages we would have paid. So, you know, if true. Uh, John Cross, the the legend that is John Cross, uh, is reporting today. He still wants to come to us, and oh, he's really? gonna and he's turning down Real Madrid. So yeah, if that's true, if he does come, then it, it could be a, yeah, it could work out quite well. He looks just as an aside. Sanchez looked miserable last night playing. Yeah, but league. second half he turned it on completely and just won the game for them. Well, I mean, he's 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 a. Without smiling, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's he's a professional and he's one of the best players in the world, and you'd expect him to uh, you'd expect him to turn it on at some point, but he still don't look happy to me. Oh no, he was foul mood. <laughs> so listen, um, let's have a quick chat about Watford and what sort of a threat they pose. Firstly, what do you make of Marco Silva, both his time at Hull, second half of last season, and how he started at Watford? Yeah, I think he's excellent. Uh, not not one that was on my radar before he came to the Premier League to be honest but uh, yeah he's so good he might even might even stay at Watford for more than a year hey, hey. <laughs> that big success yeah I mean you had, you had your Paul Merson's going to use this guy uh, when he came in why not give it to a British manager at Hull and of course he couldn't keep them up though he almost did but that, that team had been stripped bare I don't even know how they got any points to be honest Uh and if you look at his points per game, you know, since in during his time at Hull, replicate that and it'd probably have been fourteenth, thirteenth in the table. Uh so, so he did a great job with very basic tools. Uh and I yeah, I like him. He just you know, it's unassuming. You don't hear much from him. Uh, but he organises his teams, doesn't he? He's aware, tactically aware, uh, well-drilled, disciplined unit, and it'll be a test. So they've won two, drawn two. Uh, one of the few undefeated teams left in the in the league, and yeah, it's going to be a tough test because you say park the bus, they won't park the bus, but they will be rigid defensively. I expect they will not make it easy. Uh, yeah, he's brought in, and probably looked to. To get us on the break, I imagine, because uh, they've got more exciting players up front. But yeah, it's a well-drilled team. Uh, I, I'm quite impressed with him. Is yeah, I can I can see why. I think it's quite a sound appointment. Mm. Um, do you think, in a way, um, 
a team like Watford are the most challenging t- side that will the, the type of side that is the most challenging for for City because they are so well organized under Silva and they do they carry for me they carry a physical threat as well as an attacking yeah. threat if that makes sense yeah there's plenty of uh, physicality in that side uh, we're not I don't think we'll be seeing the 5-0 lump uh, at the end of the last season absolutely I mean it's yeah he's got I think it's well one of the one of the many Chelsea players who are spread across Europe. Uh, Chalabar's in there, isn't he? And he's brought in Ducore, who Matt Zaire last year just didn't fancy. And they've got a really strong... Yeah, that's a really good midfield partnership there that's done well. Uh, and they've got that with Carlison up front, Anthony. So they've got a Carrillo, a bit of creativity and flares. So it's one of those great sides that matches different skill sets. Uh, you got Cleverly and... Yeah, so a strong defence, bit of flair up front. Kind of all the stuff you know, that Palace did last season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you start at the back, you're strong, you get go direct, you give it to flair players with a bit of pace uh, out wide and up front, and it's, it's a good combination. Yeah, it's, it's, it could be one of our toughest tests this season. So just swinging back to the, the City perspective uh, and this game, is there almost, even though we, we had a, a quick chat about rotation, it absolutely, it's just put your strongest team on the pitch against Watford. Yeah. And that, as you said, that's why I think both Silvers could be integral to picking apart. I think it's one of those games like Brighton where you might have to be patient as well. Yeah. Because it's about them concentrating for 90 minutes. But it's also one of those games where you fear they'll get one chance and take it. Mm. Uh, at set pieces, they'll be good. Uh, so, yeah, I can see why he won't rotate if it's been working. Silly, because last season I was bemoaning that he changed the side every week. And now, <laughs> now I'm bemoaning that he won't give some players a chance. So, uh, But, yeah, I'm not sure pace will be, or maybe pace late in the game. So, again, you can see Sane and Sterling coming on if it's not going well after exactly. an hour or so. Exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the um, the Pozos or the Pozos ownership, because uh, they, they own Udinese as well. Yeah. Um, and I think they own another club somewhere else in Europe. Uh, well, they did own Granada, but I think they sold it on in 2016. Right. So, but it was a three-club three ownership, so they took over Watford. I think 2012 it was now. So, mm. yeah, uh, Gianpaolo Pozo, hope I pronounced it right, double Z, he owns Udinese and has done for a long time. Uh, but it's his son, Gino, who runs Watford. Uh, and to be honest, yeah, you can look at this with a lot of scepticism. You know, but they're, def- they're not the owners, sort of owners that are in it to scalp the club, you know, strip it bare, make money and get out of there. They are very serious about what they do. Uh, but what they've got, obviously, a lot of criticism is because, kind of like City uh, Girona situation, they obviously a lot of players have moved between these clubs. So they're all, it's so obviously they're considered sister clubs. Yeah. Uh, so I think in the first year that they took over Watford, I think 14 loan players were brought in 2012-13 season. Seven of them came from the two sister clubs, Granada Udinese. And there's been a lot of players moving around. So like Igalo, you know, came from Udinese. Uh, 
and there's, they've got someone at the moment is already on his fifth club. Yes, yeah, some South American prodigy is on his fifth club roster at the age of 19. So, and the, yeah, but, but they have a brilliant scouting network. You know, South America, Europe, they're serious about what they do. Like Asamoah, Bonatia, Montari, all came through. You know this scouting system. Alexis came through that scouting system as and well. San- yeah, Sanchez came there, played for Udinese for yeah. quite a few years, loaned out to a couple of clubs, then went to Barcelona. So, yeah, uh, the scouting is serious. His his son Gino, he moved to you know he's moved to London, brought his family here, works out the offices at Vicarage Road. He's uh, the serious about what they do. The skepticism is that is it fair that you know they're allowed to just move all these players around? Uh, they're not breaking any rules as such. So it's up to you to decide. Uh, but they're playing the game because they're not one of the big boys. What you can also, yeah, what without doubt, they're brilliantly run. They do it seriously. They're financially sound. I say financially sound. I think Gianpaolo in his early years was caught up in the match fixing in Italy. Now, I don't think anything was ever proven. Uh, and of course, there's been recently. Uh, talk they've just been fined i think a few million pounds because when watford took over a fake document was involved in the takeover recently unearthed but it it seems they knew nothing about it the pozos so watford took a fine okay. re- uh, recently but yeah as i say it's it's worked the the downside is they don't they go through managers like uh i go through packets of crisps now is that, is that actually a downside i wanted to ask you about that because well, it's not it's not been a downside for Watford really because they've done it's like the Chelsea model, isn't it? Doesn't seem to affect them that much. It's like the Southampton model; it doesn't seem to affect them. Uh, but I'm sure they'd prefer to have one manager there for ten years, wouldn't they? So why? Because it means he's doing a bloody good job. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Matt Sari. Yeah, Matt Sari last year fell out with you know. Yeah, I think they were actually annoyed with him because he wouldn't speak English. In, press conferences even though he could speak English uh, they, which in a way I kind of like because they want they want the managers to assimilate into culture uh, so they want the managers to learn English speak English and be part of you know the English Premier League Yeah, uh, but he, I think he'd fallen out with players as well and it was very uninspiring by the end as you saw as the last day of the season no there's no right or wrong they can you know I don't but yeah, they've sat, I think was it Flores before and yeah, I thought, oh, did he get to the semi final of the FA Cup and he got to ninth mid table and that was weird. I mean, that's not underachievement that. So I can understand about Sarri going. I can understand someone like Zola going who's not been a success as a manager. Let's be honest. But the Flores one is strange. Uh, yes, it's not vital. They can keep going through them and keep performing like this. But you know. If you can build, it's better to build an empire, isn't it? So yeah. I just think I think, think it'd be stupid of them to let Silver go in the next couple of years unless he completely falls apart. Yeah, I think he'll I think he'll do really well there. I think they they might end up keeping him. I also yeah. think in on the continent there is they don't hold no, they don't. head coaches sacred in yeah. the way that in England, you know, I think I think Ferguson's got a lot lot to answer for in terms of you know creating this idea that the the manager must be the the almighty, all-powerful, and and clubs must be patient and they must give their managers time all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I think 
I don't think that you need to operate at the extreme that Steve Parrish operates at, where you, you employ a manager, give him three games, and then tell him he's got one game to save his job. I think that's a nonsense. But I think at the same time, if you own a football club and you get to the end of the season and you go, he's done okay, but we think he could do better, or we don't like X, Y, and Z, and we can already see that next season there's going to be a downturn, you, you change the manager. I think that's, yeah. that's the way it works on the continent. So, okay. Business. Right, two things to wrap this up. I want you to pick the team you would pick in the uh, Watford game, and then I want you to tell me what result you think City will get. Right. Uh, well, I won't go through it, because I will... You've won me over during this podcast, or I've won myself over. I'd keep the same team as Feyenoord. Okay. My own, yeah. Maybe Danilo. Yeah, Danilo said of Fernandinho if he's... Tired. Uh, I don't mind which of them. Uh, but no, I'd keep the same team. Okay. Um, Just uh, with Purring as a unit. So Absolutely. And then bring on Sarni. You know, if we need to, Sarni Sterling can be introduced for half an hour. You know, not in the 84th minute. Just you know, give him a good half hour to run a time in defence when I think the game will open up. Mm. Okay. And what score do you think it'll finish? Oh, 1-3. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Um, well, for the record, I, I completely agree with you. I, I do think I'd I'd go with with an unchanged side now because I do think that performance was that impressive, and I do think that Bernardo will be better than maybe one of the uh, one of the the pacey wingers. Um, and in terms of results, I mean, I like the way we're defending at the moment. I, I, I'd like to predict a clean sheet, but I don't want that to to jinx it. But I'm going to go with zero two to uh, to City. I'll take um, that. Excellent. Uh, okay. Wonderful. Got through that, Howard. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, to everybody who listened, thank you very much. We will keep an eye on our SoundCloud page over the next 24 hours. We'll be throwing up a little excerpt from an interview that I did with City's former technical director, Mike Rigg. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Mike was brought in by Mark Hughes, but then stayed for the early part of Roberto Mancini's um, managerial reign at City and was involved in putting together, was heavily involved really in scouting and putting together the the 11-12 title winning side. So Aguero, Silva, Torre, I think even Zabaleta and uh, uh, and company was involved in in bringing all those players to the, to the club. It's a really fascinating chat that I had with him both about being a technical director, being a sporting director at a Premier League club, um, and also about his time at City. So yeah, for for, for the non-members of the 9320 player, we'll throw up an excerpt uh, over the weekend of that interview. And if you're a member of the 9320 player, then the full interview will be available early next week. Um, yeah, and if you don't know what we're talking about, head over to 9320.com uh, and check out details on the 9320 player. It's only £4 a month and you get loads of Man City content. Uh, yeah, wonderful. Thanks very much for listening and we'll be back very soon with another podcast. Cheers.